Hello, this is Randall Broad. I am your host of C-Sessions. Today, I have the esteemed pleasure to have my friend Matt Partlow joining us. Matt is 64 years old. He is married. He has kids. He has grandkids. And he also has multiple myeloma. Matt has made the decision after four years of treatment and trying everything he could possibly do to live through this disease. He has made the decision that death with dignity is in his imminent future. Matt, welcome to C-Sessions. Thank you. So Matt, this is probably one of the more unique podcasts I will have ever had the pleasure to do. Can you just give us a little bit of background? Well, if you go back to 2015, let me make a correction. I've been battling for six years. Oh, I'm sorry. That's okay. I was watching a playoff football game. Seahawks came back from 17 down late in the third quarter to come back and beat the Packers to go to the Super Bowl. We had an onside kick and I kicked my recliner forward because that was a miracle. And I fractured my spine, just a hairline fracture. So it's not like it sounds where I must have been rolling on the floor in pain. It just felt like I sort of tweaked my back a little bit. I was visiting my sister and her niece is a chiropractor. Before dinner, I said, geez, you know, I hate to bother you on a Sunday, but could you look at my back and yeah, yeah, lift up your shirt. And she goes, yeah. This is not chiropractor. <laughs> this, there's, there's something really wrong here. I'll get you set up with some of the general practitioners that I work with. Of course, when I saw them and described what happened, it's like, well, there's no sense taking x-rays. You couldn't have possibly broken a bone. Yeah, I, that made sense to me, too. There was all kinds of guesses, and I, I started taking pain medications such that I couldn't drive home. So I stayed... This is, she lives down in uh, Summerlin, just Las Vegas. I was kind of stuck there for two and a half months because of the pain medication. I'd driven down there. I took my mother down there to celebrate mine and my sister's birthday. We had to fly my mom back home. Finally, one night uh, at dinner, I, I just said, you know, I got to go to the emergency room. This is getting worse, not better. They took an x-ray. <laughs> oh, imagine and, that. Yeah, so I remember being woke up, doctor comes in and says, uh, I'm seeing some things on an x-ray. I'm not qualified as a radiologist to really say what's going on, but I don't like it. Uh, so I'm going to keep you in the hospital. And I thought, well, if you keep the pain meds you know, going, that's great. Right. By then, it, it really hurt. In fact, my, my spinal cord was pinched. When you test for multiple myeloma, the, some of the key tests take a couple, three days to come back. So you get a lot of information back via the blood drum. But the key data that you need, you have to wait for. Mm-hmm. And so I just waited in the hospital and... A nurse walked in my room and said, hey, has the oncologist been in to see you? And I, I'm sitting there, oncologist, is, no, I have a back ache problem. She does a 180 like, oh, I just stepped in it. <laughs> sure enough, three, four minutes later, Dr. Gene Clark shows up and he says, uh, I've got some bad news. Um, you have multiple myeloma. And I don't know if you've ever been to Seattle, but I'm going to refer you to see Dr. Libby up at the Seattle Cancer Care Alliance. 
as soon as we can get your back stabilized via uh, an operation where they took that bone out, that vertebrae out. Wow. In that it was just chalky. Of course, I was out of network because I was in Nevada. So we negotiated for about seven or eight days on how we were going to do the surgery and who was going to get paid what, which is medicine in America. Yeah. <laughs> You're negotiating surgery. So I had surgery. I got fixed up with a a brace that held my neck. I actually flew on a delicate balance of painkillers and not falling asleep and made made my way to the SCCA house, which is kind of a apartment-like living where you're not in the hospital, but you're really nearby. Right. When I got there, they wanted to do radiation and start with chemo, but the back surgeon who reviewed what the work that the gentleman did down in uh, uh, Summerlin said, you can't, that's, this has to heal. You just can't start radiating this surgery. I just stayed in that dormitory, if you will, for a solid six weeks, really just convalescing. Then we started radiation was Revlimid and dexamethasone. Very common uh, to start out for multiple myeloma. And that was the beginning of treating the disease. Did you know very much about multiple myeloma when they said those words, you have multiple myeloma? I did not. However, my brother-in-law, where I was actually visiting, this guy is the first human being on earth to have a stem cell transplant for a blood cancer called amyloidosis. And you can go to Google and say, who's the first guy on earth to have a stem cell transplant? And that was 20 some odd years ago. And he's still here. He's still alive. So my naivety, it's one of those things where you're really naive, but you think you know what you're doing because knowing him. And so when Dr. Clark talked about getting a stem cell transplant, I thought, oh, well, I'm in that camp. I'm good. You know? Right, and it doesn't work on all blood cancers the same. We're all unique. And we all have our own thumbprint. It just doesn't work on myeloma the way it did. How about if we try this thing? Hmm. And it's kind of like, well, and oh, by the way, could kill you, but you're days away, maybe weeks, possibly. And it was like, well, yeah, what do you got to lose? And lo and behold. <laughs> He, he's picked up an extra 25 years. Yeah. So for, for me and my wife, we're just incredibly naive to think, oh, God, stem cell transplant. Perfect. It's curable. <laughs> so that was uh, off the mark by 180 degrees. And I did ultimately have a stem cell transplant, and it worked for a while like everything else. I seem to get about six months to a year from everything we did, including the trials. And so what you're doing is bridging. You're just trying to get to the thing that's on the horizon. Right. I remember my oncologist telling me that very same thing. He goes, yeah. you want to keep you alive long enough for the next good, great treatment that's coming down the pike, because there's so many yeah. coming down the pike as quickly as they are. And I hear it over and over, but here you are. So how are you feeling? You signed your papers, Death with Dignity. Yeah. Obviously, you didn't come to this decision overnight. Well, we've shifted hospice. And so the shift is from 
trying to find the next treatment of which they're we're done they're, they're we've done everything so we couldn't quite bridge to the next thing and it's kind of sad because it's really really close so we've shifted to just making me comfortable so uh, in a way, we were kind of uh, rationing out organs, if you will, because all of the treatments are really hard on your liver and kidneys and so on and so forth. And then you're taking pain medications of all sorts, and they are as well. So you're kind of rationing kidney function, if that makes sense. Yeah. And so you can't really take the kind of pain medication you need. Keep in mind that one of the things myeloma does is it demineralizes the bone. 200 years ago, you just sat there in your deathbed with your bones disintegrating. Mm -hmm. Throughout the years, we did bone strengthening infusions called Zometa. That's hard on your organs as well. Right now, I'm, I'm feeling better. We shifted and, well, we changed the opiate to a higher dose, fentanyl patches. Now, fentanyl is a very powerful painkiller, mm -hmm. very dangerous, too. They use these patches that you put on the skin, and it takes a little while. But what we're trying to do is get to a painkiller that would uh, bridge such that I'm not waking up in pain. We're hoping we get contiguous pain relief. I just started this 48 hours ago, and you've got to kind of ramp it up. Gotcha. And then from there, they can see, well, do we need a higher dose? And they've done a lot of studies on me about pain management. And, you know, uh, I've done a lot of trials, and so I seem to be the go-to guy for Hey, try it on Matt. He'll, he'll be fine. <laughs> so I've done. You feel, uh, like, you feel like the guinea pig in the room? <laughs> yeah. Give it to Mikey. He'll eat it. <laughs> uh, so got through all of those pretty much unscathed. I like to think that I've helped a lot with regard to Fred Hutch and their research. I can only imagine that you have, Matt. And hopefully everybody that comes through there and experiences what you have experienced, they are learning from every one of them. There's no two ways around it. I know quite a few people that work there and I am yeah. always grateful to hear what, what's coming down the pike. Where are you emotionally? How are you feeling emotionally right now? I had to get a lot of things resolved. You know, this as well as anybody, you know, once you're a parent, your kids can be 60 years old and it's like, do you have your jacket? Yeah. <laughs> you're always a parent. <laughs> You're always a parent. And so to me, I really needed to hear face to face that they'll be okay. And then you realize your daughter doesn't know the difference between a Phillips head screwdriver and a flat blade. And you go, oh my God, they can't, what are they going to do without me? And yep. so you, you just have a hard time. Now, my, my wife is uh, just remarkable. She's an academic and I'm a do-it-yourselfer. So I have a lot of tools in the garage and I go, well, what are you, you going to do with you? She says, I'm going to learn to use them. Aww. And she's got the drill driver down. And the, I'm just one of those guys where if, if I got a quote for $1,200 and I know I could do it myself for $50 worth of parts, I went out and bought me the best roto hammer you can buy. Right? Gotcha. That's paid off. I have tools that are 30 years old that right. are just like you. She fixed the garbage disposal the other night. Yeah, I saw your picture on Facebook. 
as far as your kids, you have grandkids. Correct. Have you had the conversation with your kids that you're doing the death with dignity? Yeah, and I did. I've been lucky. My birthday had just gone by, and my my youngest daughter came up from Atlanta, and so I was able to meet with them face to face. What I needed to hear coming out of their mouth into my ears, not on the phone, mm-hmm. is that it's going to be okay. That means, sorry. It's okay, Matt. That's what you got to hear. Yeah. Did you hear it? Yeah. Well, I mean, that's sorry. it's. It, it doesn't get any bigger than this, Matt. All of our hearts just go out to you and what you could possibly be going through. Are you feeling lonely at all in this experience? You're in this alone when you boil it down. They want to be here for the process. I'm kind of worried about this, but I've read a ton and so has my wife. And it's really a peaceful thing. You know, it's not, well, <laughs> me being me, I, I'm just super curious about, okay, what are we taking here? Well, like the number one ingredient is value. So it's kind of like, it's a pretty peaceful event, right? Because that's, it's a big dose of Valium too, by the way. One of the things that never really even crossed my mind was that someone would, beside my wife and some people very close, that they would want to be here for that, the whole process of you got to take some medicine early, antihistamines and anti-nausea medication. So you have some waiting to do. And then End of Life Washington will actually, that's an organization, they'll come over and help because they've done this a lot. Whereas you, you can't have a hospital or a clinic or doctors involved. In fact, there's very few hospice care facilities where you stay at someone's property that will let, allow it on their property either. We're going to do that at the house. And because of COVID, we can only have like a total of 10 people, which is one of the things that after I did the CAR-T trial, I was being told by Dr. Libby that, you know, hey, in like March of 2020, it looks good. You know, your red blood cells are up, white blood cells, plasma, your, your immune system's getting, coming back together. You ought to be able to get out from my Loma quarantine, right? I'm, I'm on double secret quarantine is what, right. what I call it. And so March rolled around and COVID, can't do anything. Not to be glib, but you can't even die because of COVID. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> well, the, here's the saddest part, I think, is uh, I had my third granddaughter in December and I've never been able to hold her oh. or her sister. Matt, that, I, I don't even have an answer to that one. Two-year-old, it's like a walking Petri dish. Yeah. Right? I couldn't pick her up. Or, uh, I mean, we didn't even want, you know, if I'd have got the flu or pneumonia yeah. back in the early days of getting those CAR T cells back and what have you, it had been fatal. So, Matt, let me ask you this. With what you're going through, yeah. what would you like people to know? There are entities out there still fighting death with dignity. And the SCCA, by the way, writes this prescription more than anybody. Yeah. Because cancers, by and large, are somewhat predictable. It's known that 
you slip into a coma, you're going to be there, you know, even if you've signed all the documentation, do not resuscitate and all that kind of thing. You're still going to be around for a while. It's just cruel. I mean, to, to not allow, and, and by the way, this is a delicate balance. It's like, with Dr. Libby, we, you don't want to wait being untreated, uh, have this creep up on you and you end up in the hospital. Once you're in the hospital, you've lost all control. So I may very well get a call saying, hey, Matt, you better get cracking <laughs> um, because this has come out very aggressive. One thing we don't know right now is, will the myeloma be very aggressive or will it just kind of hang there doing its damage. You just don't know because every time you've put up a, a chemotherapy or any other therapy, then the myeloma adapts, right? It, right. It's, it's it gets stronger. Well, I've, they, do, they run DNA on it. Mm. And so I've had DNA testing. It's definitely changed three times. Yeah. So it behaves differently and it, it gives you different symptoms. You've mentioned Fred Hutch, you've mentioned SCCA. I yeah. was treated at SCCA. I don't yeah. have anything but great things to say about them. You too probably feel that you were treated by the very best. We're grateful for that, but you know, still here at the end of the line. So tell me about your experience with SCCA and Dr. Libby. I was one of these guys that showed up in April of 2015 all right, let's get this fixed. Let's, let's, what do we do? What's next? Right. And he said to me about six months later, he says, you know, I, I get guys like you come in, you want that fighting spirit. And then with some guys like you, Matt, I got to sit you down and say, this is really serious. And that it's kind of like at the end of a football game. We're down by 17. This is pretty serious, right? right. And so. And we're on the five of, yard line, on our own five yard line. Well, he kind of adjusted me, you know. What I, Joanna and I, I don't know, we have an intellectual curiosity together that I want to know what we're taking. I want to know what's going on. I want to ask questions. And he really appreciates that a lot. And he's come to the point where. I don't want to say he treats us like peers because he's a doctor. I mean, he's a great doctor, but I feel like he's my friend. And uh, that's the kind of conversation we've had on the last two telemedicine. My daughters are like, well, how'd it go? I was, I was really just a, a chat. You know, <laughs> you can't put a price on that. That's really, I, I have a very similar relationship with my oncologist. He also at SCCA <laughs> and I again, going through this and you have that level of support. And again, you being a self-advocate, being yeah. engaged and being involved. Again, there's a lot of patients that don't go to that level. They just go along for the ride and listen to the doctor and just do whatever. With this change in your world, pal, what's your view of mortality? You know, my mom asked me a couple months ago if I was scared. And I said, you know, I'm not scared. I'm worried. And she goes, what do you mean by that? And it goes back to, I'm worried about Joanna and my stepson, Ray, and my daughters. This is an interesting conversation in my head. Is this ego? Is this me, basically? How can they live without me? I, kind of a deal. Or is it just that parenting paranoia where... It's like I said to Dr. Libby, I, 
I know the car is gassed up and you got your prom dress on. I'm just not sure you're coming back. You know? yeah. Dad, I'm, I'm a chaperone. <laughs> so, oh, yeah, you got me there. But it, it is hard to let go of being the parent. Yeah. You know, Matt, I remember when I heard the words for the first time, you have cancer. The first thing that went into my mind were my kids. They were 14 yeah. and 15 at the time. And I obviously went to a dark spot and I just couldn't even imagine what my life would have been like at that age without my dad. And yeah, I don't think that's, I guess what I'm saying, I don't think that's uncommon that you would probably want to go there. And we are parents and we're always going to be parents. And even, even after you go to the next place, you're still going to be that parent. You mentioned that with COVID, you can only have 10 people in your house at a time. I believe that's correct. How do you plan to say goodbye? For me, COVID <laughs> isn't really a factor anymore. Right. I'm protecting everybody else. And I. the thing is, is that I've been in quarantine for so long. I haven't been to a grocery store in two years. <laughs> Probably then I waited in the car. I'm going to wear a mask. And, and my youngest daughter, again, came out from Atlanta a year ago at Christmas time. Couldn't give her a hug. Couldn't give my older daughter a hug. My granddaughter couldn't pick her up. I have a 10-year-old granddaughter. Can't put her on my lap. But now I can't. And again, they're going to go to the sink and wash hands and mm -hmm. do all the precautions. We actually have face shields and some N95s. For me, finally, it's kind of like <laughs> I was talking to Dr. Libby about pain meds. He goes, well... You're at a point now where if it still hurts, take three. There you if go. it still hurts, take four. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it doesn't, it, it doesn't really matter. I was going to say, you're not going to have to worry about being addicted. I've, I've never, ever felt any kind of addiction to pain meds because the pain is, it's that bad. Mm. You know, this is the other thing about death with dignity. People need to realize that people sitting in a hospital bed, whether they're at home or not, is you know it's not a contest but multiple myeloma is one of the worst cancers to just sit back and die from i mean think about it my bones are crumbling out from under me I, in fact i have to be super careful that i don't break my right femur because it's demineralized so badly that when you look at the images it's about this big around my wife helps me. By the way, things can go sideways awfully quickly. You know, I, I, I bought her this house, which was, again, one of the things I got settled. And people say, well, why'd you get a two-story house? And I said, well, in July, I rode my bike up to the house to look at it. And then things just went perfectly sideways. Which, by the way, one of the things that CAR-T did for me, I had a will, I had medical directive, all of these things were set up pretty good, but not perfect. Well, I guess I'm a bit of a perfectionist, but I can be satisfied. I really feel like I've got my kids set up now, and I've got Joanna Race going to the University of Washington, which is in his bedroom. <laughs> I read a book called Being Mortal. Have you heard of that book by chance? Mm, I have not. He wrote, Arriving and an acceptance of one's mortality and a clear understanding of the limits and the possibilities of medicine is a process, not an epiphany. And that just kind of echoes what you were just saying there, what Dr. Libby was telling you, et cetera, et cetera. 
And yeah. anyway, I couldn't help but, but notice that your view of your world has now changed. Where are you emotionally? You know, to me, it's an unknown, which that's why I enjoyed traveling to places like China and India and Europe and Central America, is that there's just sort of an unknown out there. For me, this is an unknown, and I look forward to see, seeing what's happened. I, I'm not afraid. I don't think that there's going to be any form of consciousness that's going to get tortured. Sometimes I think this is hell, and that's I did something. I might have been Attila the Hun or something, because I have been tortured. I mean, I've been cut and burned and poisoned. And I know Dr. Libby hates that when I joke about cut, burn, and poison center, but it's sort of a joke amongst cancer patients. Okay, so you're taking an interesting twist, but you think that because of you being tortured, burned, that you think you did something in a past life or something that come An up academic and... thought process, right? Okay. It's just, I, I don't want to offend anybody, but the bumper stickers that say, I don't know, and neither do you, that makes sense to me. I, I just don't believe there's a way of knowing, but I think that uh, if anything, it's not going to be negative. It could very well be just lights out. I, I'm just not of the mind to grab onto any kind of mythology and run with it because there's many, many religions out there. There's many different beliefs. I guess I've always looked at religion as religious studies, not. And, you know, I grew up in the Methodist church and I went to Sunday school and all of that. And then, of course, went to college. And as my mother says, they turned you into a progressive. For what it's worth, as you were, as you were mentioning, being a good person, yeah. when we played golf, you always counted every stroke, and I always appreciated that. <laughs> I tried. It's, it's really hard sometimes because golf's so unfair. It is unfair. It's an unfair sport. <laughs> Meanest sport on earth. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Wherever you go, I'll bet you there might be a 19th hole, though, so who knows? <laughs> we'll see. Probably. What are you most proud of, Matt? That I could maintain a sense of humor. Oh, you've always I, done that. And a good attitude. My daughter, just the other day, were joking around about the death with dignity thing. And at one point in time, my wife's sitting there and she's going, well, when do you think we might schedule and plan this? And then if a couple months goes by, the tone changes to, hey, when are we going to do this thing? <laughs> And I joking with my youngest daughter and she goes, God, you just can't stop. No, Matt, that's, a, that's a blessing, buddy. That's a, you always bring a smile to my face. Well, and, and I think it carried me. You know what I mean? I really firmly believe that I'm semi-famous at the SCCA for just doing things like I, I, I've had several braces, but I had a white one that laced up. And it had hooks in the back. And I always put a t-shirt on because it kind of cut India. I go into radiation oncology back in 2015. And uh, I don't know, probably third or fourth treatment. There's two technician guys there. And I, I come in kind of swirling around dancing, singing like a virgin. <laughs> and they just died. And I thought, okay, that's kind of funny, but it's not that funny, you know? <laughs> And at the end of 20 treatments, they, they said, hey, I want to walk out with you, man. I, 
just really appreciate. We looked at the calendar and went, oh, Matt Partle's coming in. Yeah. So what do you mean? He goes, I'm telling you, it's a bummer. All day long, people come in and it's like, I hurt and I am so sad and da 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 da. And you walk in, take your shirt off and jump on the table. There you go. You have a good dry <laughs> sense of humor. It always carried through. Is there anything else, Matt, that you want to share? I want people who are critical of death with dignity to do some homework. You really wouldn't wish upon your worst enemy that they didn't have that choice. It's really tough in this time frame that I'm in right now. It it hurts. It hurts a lot. Yeah. Well, Matt, I can't tell you enough how proud I am of you and that you have done what you've done and conquered what you have. And the world is going to miss you. That's for sure. Do you remember TV show, The Munsters? Herman Munster, when he was, not Herman Munster anymore, when he was dying, I remember he was on his deathbed and he said, don't worry, I'll see you all very soon. And there's a lot of truth in that. One step further, I've had to think about things that most people haven't had to think about. Dr. Libby and I have really strategized with regard to don't get caught being too sick let's make sure that you go out on your terms. And there's a lot to think about. I think golf lapsed into my whole ability to concentrate on something. Maintain your sense of humor, have a good attitude, just about, we're going to have to do this thing, whether you moan about it or not, let's go do it. And I appreciate you being here, Matt. And I appreciate you taking the time to share your story and hopefully people on this side are understanding. Thank you for having me. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the end of this C-session. I want to thank you all for joining us. I want to thank my friend Matt and his family for all that he brought forth, all he continues to bring forth. And we let him die with dignity. Thank you, Matt. Thank you.